so many people come to me and they're like, I don't have 90 minutes to start my day. Well, now you do, and you can check it out. You can test it. Well, don't take my fucking word for it. Run the experiment. Find out for yourself, right? Do this for yourself. Figure out how much flow it's going to produce, how much work you get done, how shocking the leverage is, you know, and build a new habit in this, in this time. We're all home. <laughs> I think, yeah, I do it with his arms like this all the time. I don't. So basically what you're saying is he's a smart dude. Dumping yeah. is cocaine. 53 years old, I'll do hip hop dance classes online. She's like, what? Oh God, what is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Welcome, everyone. This is the Rome Podcast. Uh, yet to be named, we're just getting it started here. Uh, my co host is Mr. Corey Richards, uh, founding member of Rome. There he is. Um, and also a uh, National Geographic photographer, an explorer, an athlete, um, been to the top of Everest. Couple, couple Twice. times. Twice, yeah. Couple times. <laughs> uh, we did a series together last year called The Line, which was he and uh, his partner Topo's uh, attempt on a, on a brand new unattempted un, uh, line on the north side of Everest. Um, and today we are going to dive in. This is our attempt to connect better with you, uh, with our audiences right now in these sort of unprecedented times. And we're going to welcome um, an old friend, Mr. Stephen Kotler. Um, I'm going to get him to jump on here in a moment. Um, and I'll kick it over to you, Corey, uh, in terms of introducing what we're, what we're attempting to do here. And, you know, we're flying by the seat of our pants. We don't uh, really know exactly what we're doing, but we really want to bring some benefits to all of you. Uh, that is the purpose here. Um, and Corey and I have been talking about it for a while, and, and we thought, hey, you know, this would be a good time to uh, just get going. Yeah, so, so like CJ said, this is um, really, this is a warm-up to a, a bigger, broader podcast that we're launching, and we were in the middle of launching, but obviously with the current state of affairs in America and really half of the world, um, a, a lot of those plans got shut down and we were really sort of uh, getting a little bit into the weeds on how do we want the audio to sound and you know how are we presenting this how are we bringing it to the world and the reality is that uh, the world told us how you know how it's going to be brought to the world which is from our living rooms with crappy audio but you know it's it's better to um, to do and to make in these times, especially for people who are used to being active uh, and can be sort of restless. So we just wanted to dive in and start exploring, namely, um, what our, our forthcoming guests are doing uh, in this time to challenge or to deal with the challenges that they're facing around fitness, around flow, around creativity, around you know management of time. Uh, around this massive disruption. Uh, so in this moment, we really want to lean into the, the area of expertise that each one of um, our guests is going to have. And today, Stephen Kotler, uh, his area of expertise is really around flow and creativity. And I think Chris, CJ knows, knows Stephen uh, better than I do, so I'm excited to get to know him. But, but maybe, CJ, you could give a little bit more background on, on who Stephen is. Yeah, uh, Stephen uh, is a New York Times bestselling author. He's an award-winning journalist, 
and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He is uh, generally considered one of the world's leading experts on human performance. He's the author of 11 books. I'm the author of zero books. Uh, how many books have you written, Corey? I've, I've written zero books, negative zero. I keep thinking, oh, this would be a good uh, time to start my memoir. Yeah. I have so many in my head, uh, but uh, he actually is, has written 11. Um, the Future is Faster Than You, Think, Feeling Fire, Bold, Abundance, and The Rise of Superman um, are some of the ones that we're really familiar with. Um, his work has been nominated for two Pulitzer Prizes. Um, I can't even say it, much less be nominated for it. Um, been translated into over 40 languages and appeared in over 100 publications, including the New York Times, Magazine, Atlantic, uh, Time, Wired, Forbes. And he is also the co-founder of the Rancho de Chihuahua Dog Sanctuary. So I am going to uh, get him to jump in now. Um, Steve and I have worked together over uh, the course of the last decade um, on uh, various promotional projects around these, these books. Um, and he is always uh, incredibly enlightening, in particular around understanding how the brain works. Um, and I think at this time, you know, in this sort of crisis time, how we can get into flow um, and how we can, we can find tools to, to help get through this um, and even excel through it. Um, so basically what you're saying is he's a smart dude. Uh. <laughs> super smart dude, super articulate. And also, I mean, the, part of the way that we know one another, actually Dirk Collins is, is a mutual friend that introduced us, um, one of the founders of Teton Gravity Research, uh, is that he's an avid mountain biker, avid skier, uh, and is just way into um, action sports in general, which is what um, Rise of Superman was all about, uh, which is the book. And here he is. Gentlemen, how are you all? Steven. Doctor. 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 <laughs> Actually, Steven told me explicitly before this, I am not a doctor. Yeah, um, I'm not a doctor. Definitely not a doctor. I don't want to I don't want to play one on TV either. <laughs> you guys both your your setups are uh, I gotta take some cues. It looks of course Corey's is like perfectly optically put together as a Nacho photographer. <laughs> And uh, the author of 11 books has all of his leather-bound books in, in the background. I've got some, like, hanging tapestry, and i got some work to do. Next episode will be better. Um, Steven, so, Stephen, thanks for joining us, man. We're really excited to have this conversation um, and try to, try to bring some, um, some benefit and some tools to the Rome audience and to Corey's audience, and um, hopefully we'll get spread around through the founding members audiences um so uh why don't we just kick off with you know how are you man Good, how are man. you doing nice to yeah. see you you too i've heard your voice but i haven't seen you a year a while it's been a little while yeah it's been a little, been a little while. while yeah i feel like the last time i saw you both well cg i've seen you since but i burst into your office at rome and steven was just there yeah, like i was there yeah that was that was like you were right before you weren't you hadn't gone to Everest yet. No, I hadn't. I hadn't gone and 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 come home. Yeah, it's been. It, it, I think it has been almost a year. Like I, you, like you climbed a mountain in the in the interim. I tried really hard. But, uh, it didn't happen. I didn't, I didn't tap into the flow state, so it wasn't. Um, 
It, I couldn't. I couldn't. No. Um, what did you? So I like just for everybody, real quick, Stephen. Will you give us like a brief background of who you are? We sort of primed people, but but maybe there's some words that you use and just uh, some ideas that you have of who you are that that can help further and deepen that that knowledge for people. Um. I, the sort of the easiest way I think to sort of describe what I do, um, though it's weird, is uh, I've got 30 or 40, 30 years at this point, um, studying how the impossible becomes possible in pretty much every domain imaginable. So science, technology, art, culture, sports, athletics. Um, and my books tend to be either about peak human performance or disruptive technology. And the reason is whenever you see the impossible become possible, the vast majority of the time, you're seeing the intersection of really disruptive technology and peak human performance. People figuring out how to extend their capability and people how tapping into disruptive technology. And, you know, just think about the action sports industry. We don't talk about um, the fact that uh, Shane McConkey invented fat skis at the same time Shane McConkey invented Shane McConkey, but they came in together at the same time and the result was kind of the impossible. And that we see that over and over again. So I'm a guy who's done that. I've written 12 books about kind of what I've learned um, along the way. Well, actually 10 because two are novels, but they're sort of about what I've learned along the way. Um, and that's what I do. And I, uh, I'm the executive director of the Flow Research Collective and we are a research and training organization uh, we study peak human performance, and on the research side, we're sort of partnered with everybody from USC and UCLA and Stanford uh, and Deloitte and Formula One. Uh, and on the training side, we work with everybody from kind of UF, U.S. Special Forces through, uh, you know, CEOs of Fortune 100 companies to, you know, tens of thousands of people in the general public, training them how to uh, be their best. So that, I mean, I think that brings up like, you just open the can of worms that we really want to get into right now. We're in this moment where I think a lot of people feel like life is halted. Um, life has come to this screeching, you know, smoke out of the axles stop. And, and I think there's a lot of collective frustration, a lot of confusion, maybe some fear, maybe even some anger. And, and I think a general sense of anxiety around that. And, and, and it sounds to me like from what I've read of you, that this is actually a moment where you might, this is a disruptive moment. It's not disruptive in terms of technology, but it's very disruptive. So what, like, for example, I'm just curious, what are you doing right now in your life to fill up this time? Because maybe there's some clues in there for other people. So um, we've actually been talking a lot about this at the Flow Research Collective. We did a, uh, um, a two-hour event last night for... Um, all you know all our all of our audience on peak performance in a time of pan, pandemics and um there were a handful of things i emphasized the first thing i that you just sort of got to start with is um the level of fear we're all dealing with um which uh is totally understandable and also uh massively overblown from a psychological perspective and let me explain what i mean um, I, I'm not trying to tell anybody that your fears aren't real and what's going on in the world isn't real, but um, we are particularly not well hardwired for it. And that's the more important point. So the brain evolved in an environment that was local and linear. Local meaning everything we dealt with was a day's walk away. Linear meaning the rate of change was really, really slow. Linear progressions are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, kind of thing. Um, and it, what it really means is like your great, great grandfather's life was roughly the same as his great, great grandson's life. And that's the speed and the scale 
we've evolved to process cognitively. We live in a world that is exponential and global, and the brain cannot process anything at that speed or that scale. And this is particularly true with something like a virus that is spreading exponentially. The brain literally can't process exponential change. Exponential change is a doubling. Two becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16. We see it in technology. When we talk about like Moore's law, why is the smartphone in your pocket a, a million times cheaper and smaller and power, more powerful than a supercomputer from the 70s? Because Moore's law, which says computer power doubles every 18 months because the number of transistors on an integrated circuit double. Um, grows exponentially. And we don't see that often in the real world, but we're seeing it right now. And because of our networks and our sensors, we're actually seeing exponential growth um, in real time. And the brain literally shorts out when it encounters it. It does not like it. And it starts to make you a little bit hypervigilant. Compounding this, the brain evolved in an area of immediacy, right? The threats we evolved to deal with were like, there's a tiger in the bush, run away, get the spear, right? Like that's what we evolved to deal with. We did not evolve to deal with what are called probabilistic dangers. Probabilistic dangers, terrorists might attack, the economy might nosedive, COVID-19 might swallow us all, right? Like those are probabilistic dangers. And the tricky part is the brain doesn't shut down its vigilance, hyper panicked response until probabilistic dangers are gone. Probabilistic dangers are gone completely. Unless you actually shut down the vigilance response, the fear response, it won't turn off naturally when there are probabilistic dangers. So that's the, the first thing to need to know is, yes, there are reasons to be freaked out, but we are handicapped by our neurobiology in the face of this particular problem. So um, it, it, whatever feels bad about it, your brain is ramping it up. Forget that what the news media is adding to it, but your brain is ramping it up to 11 just on the nature of this. So is, is, there, a, is there a way to short circuit that? I know I, there's so much more that you obviously- No, have. that's exactly where I was gonna go. That's totally right where I was gonna go. So there's, this is, uh, this isn't, so we're gonna talk about flow, right? States of peak performance, but this isn't really flow right now. This is what I like to call the positive psychology basics. And positive psychology has spent a lot of the past 20, 25 years trying to figure out how to make you happier, right? How to make you less anxious and a lot less happier. And really there are three things that work super well. And normally, when we train people at the Flow Research Collective, we say do one of these each day um, because people are busy. At this point, people are redlined and not quite as busy. I personally, I've been doing all three and let's talk about all three. They're all gonna be familiar, but let's talk about why they're good and why they work and why now more than ever and which ways to do them. The first thing is a gratitude practice. Um, the reason is this, sounds stupid, sounds new age. No, no. No, I, was, no. I, was, I had the note in my brain. I'm like, I need to do my gratitude journal. And okay, it's, yeah, totally. And I mean, let, let's talk about why, because this is really, this is, this is another reason why today feels so crappy. Your brain gathers a ton of information every second. There's a bunch of different numbers out there. 13 million bits of information is the minimum acceptable. Like that's that we know it's that much. It may be way more, it could be into the billions, but we know it's 13 million because it's been counted. And whatever the case, it's way more than we can process, right? Consciousness, what we can pay attention to at any one time is about 2,000 outputs. So 13 million to 2,000, 
what happens in the brain is we sift and sort information. We filter out all the shit that's not critical to survival, A, or our goals, B. Those are the two big filters. And survival is more important. So the first filter all this information hits is the amygdala. It is your threat detector. Because it evolved in an era of immediacy where it wants to be biased to, oh, that might be a tiger in the bush rather than it's not at all, right? It's really sensitive to anything that could look like danger and its ratio is screwed up. It takes in, your brain takes in, your senses gather nine bits of negative information for every positive bit that gets through. So gratitude tips that. Your brain goes, and the re this is where gratitude works and affirmations don't. Affirmations are bullshit. If you work at Walmart and you look in the mirror all day and go, I am a millionaire, I am a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, you got a bullshit detector that goes, shut the fuck up. No, you are not. No, you are not. No, you are not, right? And it's demotivating and it actually takes performance in the other direction. Gratitude, you're literally thanking the brain for things that already happened. Mm -hmm. And as a result, your brain goes, oh, this is real bullshit detector doesn't go off. It goes, well, in fact, you did wake up this morning and were able to hike up that mountain, Stephen. So your legs are working and you're grateful for this. Cool, right? And as a result, you start taking in less negative. Uh, worked out at Berkeley shows it's like six to one, five to one, you can drop it. Um, and it's a five minute practice, right? List 10 things you're grateful for and try to really feel the gratitude or list th three things you're grateful for and turn one into a longer paragraph about why. Those are the two ways that, that people recommend. They work best. Um, I like the 10 more. Um, mm -hmm. Three doesn't have enough of an impact. We are doing all kinds of research. Okay, now I'm going to mention flow for the first time. We'll talk about why flow is important in this mess later, but flow is a state of optimal performance. We feel our best and perform our best. It's the zone where you get so focused on what you're doing that everything else vanishes and performances goes through the roof, right? So we're doing a study with USC uh, and a neuroscientist named Glenn Fox, who's sort of the world's leading expert on the neurobiology of gratitude. And we're looking at the relationship between gratitude and flow. And we've already figured out, we're at the front end of a long project, we've already learned that people with regular gratitude practices have more flow in their life. And we have some understanding on why that is. Um, but so we know there's, there's a direct relationship between gratitude and peak performance in general, but really calms down that response. I will also say that for anybody who has a gratitude practice these days and has tried, if you're experiencing anything like mine, when you're in the face of something like this that is so overwhelming, it, on its own, gratitude is not going to work for you. It's just not a big enough tool. Second tool has got to be mindfulness respiration-based practice and mindfulness, right? Fancy word for minding the mind. All it means is when we are practicing mindfulness, we are teaching the brain that it is, it performs best when it's calm and non-reactive. That's what you're really doing in mindfulness. And there's specific ways that you can kind of practice meditation, practice mindfulness right now that are better for uh, down-regulating the nervous system and also better for um, increasing immunity. Uh, so the, what we like to do is we start people off with uh, inhales that are half as long as your exhale. Five seconds in, 10 seconds out. You want to try to get above seven seconds in and, and 14 seconds out because what happens around there at like a 14-second exhale or so, the brain goes, the brain doesn't like to waste energy at all, ever, right? It always wants to conserve energy. And panic is really expensive for the brain, neurobiologically, physically, right? You know that. 
So, um, right, you, you've panicked on a mountain before and it burns up all your energy in a second, right? It's a disaster. So the brain doesn't want to panic. So if your exhales are long, the brain goes, oh, dude, your exhales are long. You must be calm. Let's not burn all this energy making norepinephrine and cortisol, the two things that underpin panic, and you start calming down. So I do that for three to five minutes. And then I do Wim Hof breathing or breath of fire. It's a rapid exhalation. If you don't know what breath of fire is, it's an ancient yoga breath technique, it's just fast exhales, basically. Um, look it up online. The reason it matters now, and the, first of all, if you're really strung out and that breathing might not even work for you, right? It's, it's, it'll calm you down a little bit, but it's not gonna really settle you all the way. Hyperve that kind of hyperventilation, it changes the uh, oxygen ratio and nitrogen ratio in your bloodstream, and it sort of forces you to calm a lot down. Also, there's a lot going on, so it blots out thought. Most importantly, and this isn't my work, this is uh, Brian McKenzie, one of the founders of CrossFit, former Navy SEAL. Uh, I believe he did this work with Laird Hamilton and some scientists. Um, I'm not sure if Laird was exactly involved in this project, uh, and a guy I work with at Stanford, Dr. Andrew Huberman, was involved in this project a little bit but they found that breath of fire is the only thing that they know of that can improve cardiovascular function while you're sitting on your ass. So huh. you literally can expand your lung. So this is something you can do even if you're sick. So that's this is like, this, this is like, this is the best news for athletes listening. They're like, well, sweet, I can sit on my ass. You can and make sit on my your ass. Well, sweet. by the way, I got, Corey, I got to tell you something. I hate training cardio, especially yeah. like during ski season or mountain bike season. So I'll go to the gym and lift. But I, yeah. and I'll take my dogs for hikes, but I'll train cardio doing this and out on the hill, right? I huh. won't have a, spe a special, like, and yeah, I'm getting pretty good. I don't know if you could get the results you need, right? But I, for what I need, I'm getting, I'm getting pretty good results. So you got to double down on, uh, on the box breathing. And then what I like to end with, or, or on the uh, breath of fire, I like to end with what's known as box breathing. This is a technique divided by right, former Navy SEAL uh, Mark Devine. It's, it's four sides to a box. And if you don't, again, I'm, we won't go through it here, but if you don't know what it is, the reason it's so cool, especially for action sport athletes and those of us on the ADD side of the, that spectrum, um, when your brain doesn't want to ever freaking slow down, um, there's so much going on in box breathing that it basically, there, you can't think of anything else. So it really. And, and box breathing, sorry to interrupt. Box breathing, to, just to clarify, is like, say a seven count in seven count hold seven count out seven count in, like like hold. that yeah exactly cool. yeah and the and the secret so there's two secrets to box breathing and you sort of hit on it when the last side when you exhale all the air from your lungs and you hold your breath so right. if you do that for more than say seven seconds basically it automatically induces a panic response a fight or flight response but right. what you train the brain to do is focus through it and stay calm because so you can start that next breath cycle so this is especially great in times of panic where we're all redlining box breathing literally trains you to feel that rise in sensation not plug into it not attach to it and just kind of move on to the next thing so i like to do those things the research shows you can get really good cognitive emotional benefits from 11 minutes a day of mindfulness. So I'm saying five minutes of gratitude, 11 to 20 minutes of mindfulness will give you really serious results. Um, and finally, the last one, which is super obvious to everybody listening to us is exercise, right? Exercise calms the nervous system down like nothing else. And 
here's what you need to know about exercise and the nervous system. So at the front end of a flow state, the prefrontal cortex shut, shuts down in front of your brain and it gets really quiet upstairs. That's when the voice in your head sort of dials down, right? And we all experience this in exercise. 20 minutes in when it gets quiet upstairs or so, that's exercise-induced transient hypofrontality. It's the front end of a flow state. But what it actually means is your nervous system has flushed your stress hormones out of your system. There's been a shift in your blood oxygen levels and you're at the, you're at the front edge of flow, but it, you've, you've calmed down. So how long do you need to exercise for in this time? You know, if you're not really feeling it, 20, till it gets quiet upstairs, 20, 25 minutes, and then double down, add in a different, a mindfulness practice, a, um, a uh, gratitude practice. That's where I think everybody should start. How, just one of the things that I've found for me with mindfulness specifically, there's a lot of responses, right? I talk to people, I, yeah, I'm not good at meditating. And one of the things that I try to instill in people when I talk about it is like the only bad meditation, because a lot of people are adverse to that word, they have stigmas attached to it. The only bad meditation is, is not meditating. And it doesn't have to be like, that's the only time you're doing it wrong. There's no real yeah, way. I, yeah. So I, it's such an important point. I always figure if people, your job when meditating is quite simply just to try to ignore your thoughts and focus on your breath. And it's never going to work, right? It's right. never, never going to, like, you're never going to win. Well, actually, that's. There's not really a success not, in it. It's not a, it's yeah. not a buying. It's not like I'm doing it right or I'm yeah. doing it wrong. You're just right. doing it. The tr and the truth of the matter is, if you remember what I said at the start, which is there's the, the only right or wrong is you're trying to teach the brain that is most effective when it's calm and not reactive. Huh. So that's okay. the right, that's the, that's the actual goal. So what, you're, what you really want to do is those negative thoughts, those thoughts that are sticky that pop up in the middle of your meditation. The whole goal is to say, okay, I'm not paying attention to that. I'm going to focus on my breath, right? Like that's the, those are like for guys who are really goal oriented, like I am, I love little goals. Like those are the little goals as you go along. Oh, I didn't latch onto that thought. Oh, I didn't la I'm staying with my breath. I'm staying with my breath. Those are the little victories. So it's a, bit, a little no, bit about the, sorry, Corey. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, that, that idea of, I think they call it noting, right? Too, if you're trying to meditate and you're trying to empty your, your thoughts, it's okay. You're having a thought. It's fine. You just know there's a thought. It's that's the mindfulness of it is that you're just getting an awareness around what's happening and not just like going into the cycle of, of reacting. And there isn't a right or wrong on it. I always think, I think about it. I'm sorry, Corey, you were going to say something? Oh, that's, that's exactly the point that I was going to make is that we, we, we think that we're supposed to be empty headed and clear of thought when in fact the practice as it's been most clearly described to me is the noticing of thought and coming back to breath. That is the game or coming back to mantra. I, I, I always like to think about it in terms of like, being a skier or a mountain biker or anything, but like when I'm skiing down the hill and there's a bump in the ground that I didn't see and it bounces me sideways for a second, I correct my, you know, my body and I ski on and I'm done. Like, I don't think about it. I'm not beating myself up all the way down the hill because the mountain had a bump in it that I didn't, right? Like I just sort of, okay, that happened next, right? And we all do this as athletes and that's, to me, that's the game when you're doing mindfulness. It's the same. I try to, I try to think of it that way.
And how do you, I want to go back real quick to, um, to gratitude because so for a time I worked with this amazing guy, I'm sure you know him, his name's Dan Buettner, who, who did Blue Zones, which looked at the oh, yeah. of longevity. Yeah. All the world. And we actually did a, a, an assignment for National Geographic on happiness. And so we, one of the things that, I mean, this is sort of ironic, but the most miserable I've ever been in life was trying to photograph an article on what happiness is. Um, oh but that's probably for a, that's for a whole bunch yeah. of different reasons. But um, the, the, the one thing that I tried doing and then it failed um, was I set a gratitude alarm. So I had an alarm on my phone that would go off every hour. And the point was to every hour name something just into the ether, say, you know, I'm really grateful for this. And, and, and sit with that. And it worked for a little while, um, just as my gratitude journal has worked for a little while. And then for some reason, I just started ignoring it. Like, how do we overcome the hurdles in our brains that yeah. block us from so, sitting down and meditating, from doing the gratitude journal, from doing the exercise? Because inevitably, we're in a fucking apartment. We're going to come up against it. We're like, you know what? I want to watch Family Guy instead. And that's what I, so how do we overcome that hurdle? So, um, well, I, think, <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I was trying he to figure out what family guy. I, it's hard to I was, start I, to get I, I got stuck. I would know. I was actually looking for the funny. I was like, I can't come off family guy and say something funny. Yeah. I, and I, nothing came to me. So I apologize. I just sat there like a moron, <laughs> but, uh, um, what, uh, so, uh, let me, let's, the way I like to, Trey be able to do it. So let me add in one more thing and answer your question that way. The one of the most important flow states have triggers, right? These are preconditions that lead to more flow. And flow only shows up when all of our attention is focused in the right here, right now, present moment. So that's essentially what all the triggers do. There's a bunch of neurobiology underneath it, but they all drive attention to the present moment. And the most obvious one is literally complete concentration, right? No distraction. And what the research shows is if you're interested in flow, um, this doesn't exactly apply to athletes. This applies to people in office environments, work environments, and definitely if you're stuck at home, is unless you're a night owl, start your day with 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration. Best thing you can period do for flow in your life. So one, if you, and if you're a creative of any kind, you have to survival, right? Um, but this is what we do. I mean, with, with every company we work with, the first thing we do is walk in and say, look, if you can't put a sign on your door that says, this is fuck off, I'm flowing, you can't do this work. So we also tell people that they should prepare the night before for the 90 minutes of uninterrupted concentration, doing two things. I think you want to end your day with a gratitude list. I like to end my day, finish my work day, and before I go home, um, I do it then because that's going to happen every day. So it's a regular set time. That's one way you get past this core. You don't try to do it every hour. Um, you, you, but once a day where you set a time and you have, I mean, every, it's, it's a great thought, but I can see that it would make me freaking crazy after like three hours and about five hours I'm done with it. Um, yeah. So I try to do, uh, I end my day. I write down uh, my goals for the next day, write a my to-do list basically, um, which is really important for, for flow and for performance. I do a gratitude practice and then I practice action management. I shut everything down that could distract me before I come back to work in the morning. I and, and no, especially now, no media. 
So I try, like I, we've been advising people to do media fasts if they can right now for periods of time because it's just too heavy on your nervous system. I did a 30-hour media fast in the middle of, of the week um, myself because I had a bunch of stuff that, like this that I had to do and I had to go out in public and talk to people and I had to sort of get my head together. So I did a 30-hour media fast. But what I've been trying to do on days when I can't do that because I have to do this kind of stuff all day is whenever I'm ending my workday, five, six o'clock, gratitude list, to-do list for the next day. And that, especially now, if you're in your apartment, you don't want to go family guy, having a to-do list is extra important. Um, and then distraction management, and then you start your day with your 90 minutes and you, you're ready for it the next day. All the media is off before you get to your desk. What do you, when you say 90 minutes of uninterrupted concentration um, or you know, no distraction, what do you mean? Like, what does that look, what does that look like for you? So, and it's a really good point because it looks like a lot. So the most important thing is you want nothing that's going to provoke an emotional reaction. That's the most important thing. Because the minute you start having emotional reactions, right, the minute there are feelings involved, it's hard to control them, right? So you want to, I, so I, I turn off anything, my cell phone, right? You're playing emotional Russian roulette every morning when you look at your cell phone first thing, right? That's what it is. And especially now, right? That's normal days. It's, and now it's worse. So I like Twitter, Facebook, messages, alert, everything is off. I turn it all off. The only thing I allow myself access to is uh, Safari. And I only use that. Uh, to look up if I'm as I'm writing if I to look up facts um, and uh, occasionally uh, what I like if I'm writing like, I'll write for four hours in the morning and you know I'll break it up by occasionally like going outside and watching the sunrise over the Sierras which I like to do um, or I'll watch ski videos not um, and I'll watch like two minute ski videos like because they ha they won't do anything to me emotionally. They might fire me up a little, right? Mm -hmm. But there's no emotion involved in a, in a ski video, right? So I can have a little bit of distraction from, oh, okay, I've gone hard for a, a while and I want two minutes off, right? And then I go back. That's who's your just favorite? Who's your favorite on the? Oh, ski I, video? I, I, I honest to God, I can't stop watching Candide. I've never been right. able to stop watching Candide. It's art. I don't like. Art, right? I'm really trying to figure out what the hell he's doing with his arms like this all the time. I don't. <laughs> dude he flaps his wings and he gets more height anyways um yeah i know I, I i literally i will watch ken bead videos over and over and over and over and over again um mostly just because i want to just get a break from i need my brain needs to think for process something for a second so i'll do this but i never i won't do anything i won't do email i won't do anything that takes away we also tell people this is i think really important for anybody who's got families or girlfriends or anything else or bosses if you want to do it or work environment you got to have your conversations ahead of time so when it's it's worth talking about flow for half a second when we talk about flow is peak performance it's really a big peak so uh and i can go through all the science behind all this but motivation and productivity can jack up 500 percent in flow we'll see creativity and this is work done in my lab done at uh, harvard some stuff done in the university of sydney creativity and innovation go up 400 to 700 percent in flow uh we'll see empathy spike in flow happiness overall well-being and life satisfaction go through the roof um Learning rates accelerate. Work done by the Department of Defense found we learn 240% faster in flow. So all this stuff, it's a big push. So the point is, 
90 minutes to 120 minutes, it seems like a big ass block of time. People are like, oh my God, that's so much time. How am I ever going to do it? But if you drop into flow for 90 minutes and you're 500% more productive, oh my God, do you know how much time you're going to save? So that's the, that's the trade-off you're looking at. But now the reason we want to double down on all of this so critically in this time of crisis is two things happen in flow. You get a big surge in neurochemistry, five different neurochemicals get flushed into the system. They're all feel good chemicals and all the stress hormones get flushed out of your system. So it resets the nervous system. It calms you down, puts you right back at zero almost instantly. Hugely important. Corey, you asked earlier, what's the switch? Flow really is the switch. You got to do the peak performance base. You can't go from redlined into flow. It's too big of a jump. You got to do that stuff to get yourself primed so you can actually focus during those 90 minutes, but you will slide into flow a lot quicker. Phenomenal because it calms your stress hormones down even better. All the neurochemicals that show up in flow massively boost the immune system. This isn't my work. This is work done by Herb Benson at Harvard, um, but uh, really boosts the immune system. So one of the reasons you want to double down on the flow in this, you know, in this time is it's phenomenal for resilience and it's phenomenal for productivity, which got to be the two things we all want right now. Right. So, right. How do I be productive? How do I maximize on this time? How do I maximize on this, this disruption? I, I I'm also curious, this is sort of a, sort of a, a curveball question. CJ, like, how are we doing on time? Are we pretty good for yeah, we, yeah, we got we got twenty. Okay, cool. I so I was uh, this morning when I was not in in an uninterrupted uh, a state for the first ninety minutes of my day. I watched Trevor Noah from home, and he made a really funny joke as he opened. He said, "You know, we're learning a lot of things." And he named two things, and then he, and the last one was, "And your relationship is not as secure as you thought it was." And I think, so I don't know if you know anything about this. I know you're not a relationship psychologist, but I, I, I have to imagine there's some corollaries and some transferable uh, practice and information that can help us right now when we're stuck at home with people that we genuinely love, but all of a sudden are finding that, oh my God, I kind of hate you a little bit too, because I can't get away from you. I mean, is there anything there? Like, I'm just curious. Well, so I, I, so <laughs> no, I'm just trying to figure out where to start. Um, yeah. And I am not a relationship expert. Right, I, mean, I, right. have, I have a bunch of psychologists who work for me who are. So right. I have access to them. I will. So one, I will, both my wife and I work from home. We've mm -hmm. been married for 14 years. Um, we have a dog sanctuary together. So we have lots of animals and we both work from home which means we're together a lot. One of the way, secrets to being together a lot is um, not talking a lot of time. Like we, my wife and I talk after breakfast in the morning, um, before I, I wake up, I do my writing, I take the dogs for a hike and I come back and we'll have breakfast together and we'll talk for a while then. And then we will like any couple who goes to work, we'll have another conversation at the end of the day and hang out maybe a little bit in the evening but we really respect boundaries and stay away. And by the way, secret to doing this for long periods of time. And I live, we live very far away from the world in a very, and then, you know, socialization, Chris and I were joking earlier, um, social isolation is my middle name. So, you know, I live far away at, you know, at the end of a, a very long, long road, halfway up a mountain with nobody around. Um, 
So, uh, but we do spend a lot of time together and that's useful. I will also say a couple things that are worth knowing. Um, the relationship between social support and happiness is, you know, you can't, it's, it's foundational, right? Like, um, in fact, if you look at what I, I, I often talk about the peak performance, psychology basics, the three things we covered. And then we talk about also kind of the other half of that equation, which is sleep, hydration, nutrition, and social support. And those are all about like the body and energy and social support is actually in that category because it's so foundational to us. And we just actually, uh, you guys know, or Chris, CJ, you know, uh, Will at Ohio Energetics, we've got a, a, a research partnership with them on CBD flow and cannabis and flow and THC and flow and things like this. And uh, indirectly in a study we just did, we, we went out to learn something about CBD and flow and we, I think we failed to learn what we wanted to learn entirely. But what we also, what we did learn accidentally, um, and it's the first time it's ever showed up, we've ever suspected it, but it's just so clear in the data, is there's a direct relate. People who have more social support have more flow. Direct correlations right there. Um, but you know, so you gotta, you need that right now, but you also, right, you gotta learn how to do that. And I, and I wanna say, um, one thing I, I was thinking if there's a, since there's so many action sport athletes in the audience, it's worth mentioning. So one of the reasons action sports is such a flow trigger is because things like novelty, complexity, unpredictability, and risk all drive dopamine into our system. Dopamine is a feel-good focusing chemical that drives us into flow, and it's all over action sports. So we're all addicted to it if you're an action sport athlete of any kind, if you're an outdoor athlete of any kind, you're really addicted to flow, and it's a pretty addictive chemical. So part of the weirdness, this is not relationships, this is just flow, but I, I went here because I popped into my head and I thought it was useful. Um, one of, we do a little bit of work with like Navy SEALs who are no longer Navy SEALs or professional action sport athletes who are retiring because they have families and don't want to risk their lives anymore. And it's a very hard transition for a lot of people. And the ones who are super successful are guys who do sort of what you do. They turn that love of action sports into a love of creativity and art. And the reason is in art, when you connect ideas together, we call it pattern recognition, right? When you link two ideas together, Every time there's a creative idea, that's pattern recognition. Get a little bit of dopamine. So for folks who are withdrawing from the flow of the mountains because they shut the ski resorts for the season right now, creativity is going to give you the same high. So if you don't play the guitar or dance or draw or write or whatever, for the, for the time that you're at home, do it. Pick it up. That's your new hobby that's what you could spend your 90 minutes of uninterrupted concentration on first thing in the morning if you don't have work to do, that sort of thing, because it's going to give you the same similar neurochemicals to what you were getting as outdoor athletes um, in, in the middle of a ski season. So okay. that might be useful. And the reason I went into it is for action sport athletes who are getting a lot of that and using outdoor activity to reset their nervous system or suddenly stuck at home with their spouses and their others that's a big part of the friction that's going on, I think. Um, you're sort of like, you're going through withdrawal from a, from, a, from a drug that's pretty powerful, known as flow, that you were getting all the time in the mountains because it's the middle of the winter. I'm going through this. Um, and, you know, my, my, the scaredest I've seen my wife since the start is when they shut down Kirkwood for the season. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what? oh, God, what is this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, that's the idea of creative flow, I think, is, uh, you know, Stephen, we, we worked on that a bit with Chase around oh, yeah. Superman. And, you know, he just put out a book, um, you know, it's all about creating and even talking to, to the team at Rome and really encouraging everybody on the staff, no matter what position they have, to create something right now. Um, because we are all in these sort of, you know, hunkered down environments. Um, and it feels really good, whether you, you know, write a poem or you draw something or you're trying to make something. We're making something right now. Um, you know, so I, I think that's really important right now is that we're going to have to go inward a little bit because we can't go to the mountains. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a good way to, to feel joy. Yeah, I, you know, I always, I always tell people I have a career because I learned how to turn fear into words, right? I turn fear and pain into words. That's why I have a career. Um, it's a really good muscle to have to learn how to take a bunch of negative feelings and turn it into art in some way right neil gaiman make great art what are some of your uh, this is just a uh that that brings up a really good point if i think that we've got a lot of time on our hands right now and people are are often fascinated by your wealth of knowledge your background and aside from reading your books are there any go-to reads that you're like just that would be helpful that can give people some more uh, outside of everything that all of the research that you've done. Of course, like we want to point them towards your books as well. No, no, no. it's a totally, you're, you're books. looking for peak performance books. What do you, I mean, well, you, I mean, no, like, it doesn't, I don't even think it has I mean, to be like, sure. I mean, like, I mean, I could give you my three to five favorite books that I, yeah. you know what I mean? They're not, they're, they're not all the easiest reads. My favorite book, one of my favorite books of all time is called the user illusion by Tori okay. Anderson. He's, uh, it's a book on, uh, on consciousness and the size of the unconscious. I think it's one of the, he's sort of the Carl Sagan of Norway, and this is his magnum opus. I love it. I think it's the best book on consciousness uh, ever, and uh, really cool. Uh, there's a book, I still think everybody should read it. It came out a long time ago, but it's so much more relevant now than ever before. David Quammen used to write the Natural Acts column for Outside, right? I'm sure yeah. you know that name. Um, David, I've, worked, I've done three articles with them. Okay, yeah, so David's book, The Song of the Dodo, yeah. which, it, right, which I think if, like, if you care about the environment, uh, it's the most important book you could possibly read because it really explains what's going on today and, and the best way to kind of fight against it. So it's amazing that book is so old. But I also, I always say that like, most of the smart people I know are, are somewhat grounded in evolutionary science and Darwinian theory. Um, they just tend to think about things that way because life tends to work that way and the world tends to work that way and we're evolutionary creatures and it's a really smart filter for the world. Um, and that book is a really fun, it's a fun read, right? It's an adventure travel story, sort of. It's a science adventure story, but it also breaks down the entire history of Darwin and Wallace and all that early evolutionary thinking. And then it does island biogeography, which is the, a really fancy term, but it's... Um, it's the study of populations on islands and it's basically what leads to our current environmental crisis, basically long story short, great book. Um, there's another book by another going old school, but I think everybody will like it. I, one of my favorite books, Rob Schultes, another old outside magazine writer, um, wrote a book called bone games. And it was the first, he was the first guy, um, to actually 
he blazed the trail that I'm, I'm on. He was the first sort of journalist coming out of this world to dive into flow. And his Bone Games is a look at kind of extreme endurance sports, mountaineering, things like that, and flow um, a little bit. He looks at some other things too, but that I love, those are my, those have always been my, sort of my three favorite books. I, you know, there's other writers I, I love, Joan Didion and things like that, but probably not, um, a, you don't want to be reading Didion right now. She always thinks User the Illusion, Bone the Games. Bone, bone Games and The Song of the Dodo. The Song yeah. of the Dodo. The Song okay. of the Dodo. And then yeah, and also I, yeah, I want to give a shout out, uh, by the way, just because if people haven't read this, um, especially people who are interested in performance, if you haven't read my buddy David Epstein's new book, Range, he wrote The Sports Gene, which is what everybody sort of knows him for, but he followed it up with a book on range, which is why narrow specialization uh, loses compared to wide generalization. Um, in terms I love that. I've been trying to, you know, I tell students that all the time. We live in a world of be really good at this thing, specialize in this. And I'm like, actually, I, I totally disagree with totally that. Totally disagree. Yeah. It, goes against, it goes against how we learn. I totally, I agree. Range is the best book on the subject. It's awesome. It's kind of a fun read. He's a great writer. Um, I'm just glancing at my bookshelf and thinking what else is fun. And so range is what's relevant from a high performance aspect. You, you asked earlier, like what shaped my thinking? The three books I listed had huge impacts on my thinking. So, and then, so I just want to like, kind of, cause I'm just cognizant of time and you've been super generous to do this today and really appreciate it, but let's just back up real quick and, and list here, your takeaways. Cause we've covered like, yeah, let me, add, let me add one final quick takeaway and then we'll stack it together for everybody because I think it's a package. The stack is also, we all of us have what we like to call a primary flow activity. It's the thing we do that brings us the most flow. And if you're trying to figure out what yours is, think about what you did as a kid that brought you the most joy, right? For me, it's clearly skiing. Um, that's my primary flow activity. You want to right now, if you possibly can, double down on your primary flow activities. You want to calm down your nervous system with the peak performance basics. You want to devote 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration to your work session in the morning because we all got to be productive during this time. And you want to double down. I can't go uh, skiing anymore. I, you know, I was telling CJ uh, today ago, we were first talking about this. Two days ago, it snowed in my house and I built a two foot jump in my backyard and practiced Nova's Butter Threes. I'm 53 years old, right? And that's what I was doing. Um, and it brought the biggest smile to my face, right? Like, I can't double down on skiing, but you know, uh, I can find deserted spots in the backcountry to build little kickers and I did it in my backyard, right? And if I can't get access to that, I will do stupid things. Again, 53 years old, I'll do hip hop dance classes online, like just something to get my body moving in new, new fun ways. You just want to sort of double down on that stuff because A, it's going to calm down the nervous system and B, it's going to boost your immune system. So those are, to me, that's the like double down on mindfulness, gratitude, exercise. Do you want to be doing that? You want 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration to start your day. If you're a night owl, start your work, even work session that way. Um, practice some distraction management ahead of time so you're going in focused and then remember to really and you want to commit to like your primary flow practice as if it was like mandatory Corey you probably know this I, we, I would say that the biggest secret to peak performance is a checklist if it goes yeah. on the checklist you do it and that's the, you just make a, a law with yourself if you write it down 
it gets done. So that way, like, right. And that seems, that seems really uh, counterintuitive right now because people are like, well, I have all this time. I don't need to like, Oh, no, so you want to double down on it. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, I noticed that, you know, I have a planner and when I put something in my planner, even though it feels dumb to write emails, I actually do it versus if I'm like, I got to answer all these emails tomorrow. So but the I've got reason, the the reason you actually work. do it is because when you cross it off, that, yeah. that's dopamine. That's dopamine. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like dopamine yeah. is cocaine. When <laughs> yeah. you snort cocaine, all it does is it releases dopamine in your brain, right? Like cross off. It's the best. The other thing is without that list, especially if you've never worked at home before, you don't know how to declare victory over your day. Right. right. And you can't calm down at night and relax and chill if you can't declare victory over your day. So I always tell people, figure out how many things you can be excellent at it a day. For me, it's seven to nine. And that's how many things go on my to-do list. It's never more. It's never less unless I'm really feeling run down. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know I could be excellent at seven to nine things in a day. And so that's my to-do list. I, and I cross them off all day. Right. That's what I do. Gratitude list, to-do list distraction management that's how i end my my day and so i can start my day knowing what i'm going to do i think it's kind of funny that that we're talking to i think one of the the leading experts in in peak performance human performance across the planet and we're listing these amazing like here's the things you can do during the day and the and the fucked up thing is the thing that we come back to at the end of it is make a list i mean yeah, that's it's, kind of the, 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 i always say so the thing people people get really confused with peak performance, right? So right. there's a really, so I listed all the things that flow does for us, motivation, productivity, creativity, learning, cooperation, creativity, empathy. Why that list? Like that's a random fucking list of like, what the hell is going on? We are shaped by evolution. Evolution is a reaction. Evolution is driven by scarcity. Scarcity of resources. There are two reactions available to scarce resources. You can fight over dwindling resources or you can innovate and make new weak resources, right? And it's so fight, flee, and freeze are the fight side of that equation. Explore and innovate and create are the other side of the equation. Everything that gets amplified in flow is shit that helps us do one of those two things. That's what peak performance is. That's how we're biologically hardwired. And the stuff that you have to do to do that is so simple that's the hardest part about being the hardest part about being one of the world's leading experts on peak performance is the shit is so simple on a certain level right all i peak performance about getting your biology to work for you rather than against you there's nothing else going on that's just what it is it's getting your biology to work for you rather than against you because it gives you such a huge lift that's why you're using checklists right like that's getting your Diology working for you rather than against you. You're creating little dopamine loops, little habits, burning it in. You're addicted to the dopamine. You're going to go through your checklist every day. And maybe, maybe this is actually in some ways, you know, I, I don't want to silver lining this because I, I know that at leasting the world actually doesn't hurt, help anything. It's, it's not an act of empathy at all. But I, I want to say that maybe there's, um, you know, in some ways, this is a gift for people to to take a lot of what you've you've talked about today, and, and and it's a distilled time in which people can actually put these things into practice. My chief scientist said the same thing last night. He said something I'd never heard before, but he's totally right. I understood the analogy as soon as he said, it. "Habit formation 
massively increases in times of crisis. So it is really easy to create new habits in times of crisis. It's, it's has to do with the neurochemistry just that normally in your system, because you're more charged up, your brain has an easier time remembering stuff. So anything you lay, this is a phenomenal, I, the one thing that's the, the final thing, and then I got to, we'll, we can jump off this thing. But the thing that's worth knowing off of what you just said is this is going to end and opportunity is going to come back. And if you are redlined this entire time, if you're freaked out and panicked and not productive and not in flow and not taking care of yourself, you're, that is the number one recipe for burnout. And so you're going to come out of this horrific experience burned out. So there's tremendous opportunity on the backside of this and you're, we're all going to need it. And you're not going to be able to take advantage of it because this was so hard on your system. And instead, what's going to happen is if you stay really burned out when this ends, even if you didn't get sick when this ends, when the stress goes away, you're going to get sick then because your body will let down its right. And we all know that. And you don't want to, right? Like that's the time you really are going to want to double down. So my, my two scientists point out, he's like, this is a great time to train your game. Fantastic for habit formation. Think about all the people we were talking about yesterday because so many people come to me and they're like, I don't have 90 minutes to start my day. Well, now you do. And you can yeah. check it out. You can test it. Well, don't take my fucking word for it. Run the experiment. Find yeah. out for yourself. Right? Do this for yourself. Figure out how much flow it's going to produce, how much work you get done, how shocking the leverage is, you know, and build a new habit in this, in this time. We're all home. Well, it's, I think it's great advice and it, and it feels that way very much for me. I mean, even in the little habits that I'm ticking up and, you know, I'm like, I kind of want to do that again today, even if it's, you know, my day off from whatever it happens to be. So I, I, thank you so much for taking the time. I want to point out to everybody that we are going to come back and do a whole longer form podcast with Steven at another time when we can dive more into the neurobiology, the neurochemistry, everything that he's really specialized in and break down some of these concepts further. But we wanted to hit at this time of, of crisis and, and, and take your wealth of knowledge and, and kind of give it over uh, to people in our audience. So thanks. Thanks yeah. so much for taking the time to do it today. We really A pleasure. And but if anybody wants more on this stuff, um, flowresearchcollective.com, all kinds of free resources um, there. And if you... Um, if you're really interested in training up your game, if you go to zerototodangerous.com, by the way, you can book a call and have a free peak performance consult with one of the psychologists on my team. Like that's there. Zero too. to dangerous. Zero to dangerous.com. Zero to dangerous. Great. That's Steven, the name, I'll, of, our, I'll that's the name a, of our core training. I'll, I'll get all that stuff. We'll put it in the show notes for people too, in terms of Sweet. resources, these books, all that stuff. Go ahead and, and thanks so much. Corey, let's stay on for a second. We can, we can wrap some of this up. Cool. Steven, CJ, be well, next, man. next time you're going to talk more, right? <laughs> it's not my job to talk here. I'm just, uh, uh -huh. these are conversations with Corey moderated uh, by CJ. I, I, I see. I see. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. You be good. Take care um, of yourselves. I'll talk to you soon. Great. See you, soon. Take care. See you Steven. Yeah, some great stuff there, Steven. Any, any other thoughts? Uh, well, I think, again, you know, obviously gratitude, mindfulness, exercise, 90 minutes at the beginning of the day, 90 minutes to 120 minutes uh, of uninterrupted concentration. And, and truthfully, I think the thing that, that I walked away with, and I've known this forever, it's something my mom's always said, make a list. Like the night before, make a list. Make a list of all the things you're gonna do and, and use this time, the very last point, to create that habit. Um, 
it's an amazing opportunity to create new habits. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that people might be missing. We almost feel paralyzed by sort of what do I do right now? Um, that's a and- great point. It's a great point. It's been helpful for sure. I mean, Tracy and I, even, we sat down um, yesterday morning and uh, which, which a lot of times we've got a four year or almost four year old that'd be four in a couple of weeks. Uh, and a lot of times just sort of chaos, like, and we were able to sit down had a cup of coffee. We talked about what the day was going to be, how we wanted to try to, he's home from school. So, um, you know, you see this with people having to create routines now. Um, really, I think it's a great uh, idea, whether it's creating a list or, you know, a little bit of a, of a schedule, like what's going to happen from this block to this, this block. And in the same way that you shouldn't beat yourself up about, um, you know, how well you do meditation. I don't think this is the time to, to beat yourself up if you don't fit into your exact schedule, your structure, but it, it, we're going to have some time here to build some habits, like you said. Um, and, you know, a habit of, of that practice in the morning, a habit of it at night, um, you know, when to spend time with your family or connect with your friends. Um, I think it's really important to emphasize that this is all about physical distancing right now. And that's obviously, you don't need to listen to us to understand how important that is um, for society at large. But it's not about social distancing. So what we're doing right now is social, um, and we need to be able to connect. Um, and to, so find time in your day, I think, to do that as well. And Stephen touched on that. That you know, I think he said, uh, you know, that sleep, hydration, exercise, like also social connection. These are all like basic human needs um, that you have to make sure you're feeding yourself in that way. Uh, so I think that's an important thing as well. Yeah, that was uh, enlightening. And of co- I, again, I think we just need to point out that we, we named some books and I asked Stephen specifically because I often think it's really interesting to ask authors what their favorite books are. But Stephen has uh, 11 books that you can go out and read also that are amazing, that are specifically about increasing peak performance and diving into flow. Um, and hopefully in our next conversation, you know, we'll have an opportunity to ask some, some deeper probing questions about, you know, the reality of hacking and all of this stuff. But I, you know, we want to, we want to put a pin in that. And right now just uh, lean into to all the positive stuff that you can lend to this conversation. So those are another, there's another yeah, pile hey, of reading that you can do there. Yeah. Stephen Kotler, uh, you know, Stealing Fire is a more recent book of his. The Rise of Superman is a great one. Uh, bold and abundance are really were massively successful with with Peter Diamandis. He he wrote those um, all amazing books. We'll put those into the show notes as well. And then his his uh, um, organization, um, which is the Flow Research Collective, uh, that's a good one to to check out as well. And um, yeah, just so great to have uh, have Stephen on. He's, He's, I, I love the idea of also building a jump in your backyard. We could do that right now in Boulder. There's plenty of snow for it. Um, so, awesome. Uh, well, hey, there we go, Corey. Episode number one. Um, you know, as I said, uh, it's not my job in this. I like this idea of conversations with Corey. Um, I think <laughs> you're, you're killing it there. So, um yeah, we'll we'll be uh, trying to reach out to some of our other friends, uh, the founding members of, of Rome, uh, folks like uh, Jimmy Chin, Ian Walsh, Jeremy Jones, uh, Jim Morrison, Hillary Nelson, Conrad Anchor, 
uh, Sasha DeJulian, Rebecca Rush, uh, Renan Oster. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of folks in our network that we're going to try to get with, Chris Burkhard. Um, I've got a full, here's, speaking of lists, here's the list. Uh, Chase Jarvis, we're going to try to have these folks on and um, talk about what they're doing right now and, and the techniques and the tools that they're, they're going to. Um, certainly anybody that you guys uh, want to hear from that is in the Rome universe, um, uh, Andy Mann, Keith Lodzinski, another couple, um, we'll, we'll try to get with as many of these folks as we can in the coming days. So thanks a lot for listening, and Corey, thanks for holding it down, my man. All right. We'll talk to you soon.